Hey folks, this is Jason Lee, co-host of Voices of Reason. A quick clarification. In the upcoming episode, I make reference to the current group of Republican gubernatorial candidates vying to make the state primary election in June. In reality, the situation is that they must first make it through the GOP convention on April 25th. Thus far, only Spencer Cox and Thomas Wright have already qualified to be on the primary ballot. All the other candidates have to win at convention or gather enough signatures to make it to the primary election in June. Hope that clears things up. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we're launching our the first of our candidate conversation series for Utah's gubernatorial primary election coming up on June 23rd. We're extending invitations to all the candidates and their running mates for lieutenant governor to be on our podcast and discuss their policy positions and why they're the best choice to lead the state's government. Joining us this week are Republicans Amy Winder Newton and her running mate, Utah State Auditor John Dougal. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Great to be with you. Jason, before we get started, let's mention that we're doing this remotely. So if it sounds a little weird, it's because all four of us are in our um, separate homes or offices. Um, and someone at KSL, uh, Frank Mueller, is running the board for us. So um, just, you know, understand that we're trying to be responsible people. And that might, might sound Practicing social distancing. Yes, That's right. we are. So, but we're going to start. Uh, Amy, uh, can you tell us... Uh, who you are and, and kind of how you got into uh, the, the position of wanting to run for governor. Sure. So um, again, my name's Amy Winder Newton. Winder's my maiden name and my third great grandparents moved to Utah in the 1800s. They immigrated here and started a home delivery dairy business <clears throat> called Winder Dairy. In fact, it's still one of Utah's oldest businesses. So my roots here in Utah run deep and I care deeply about the state. Um, I am a mom of four. I have kids ranging in age from 16 to 24, and my husband Matt and I have been married 26 years. I'm a small business owner, and I am a current Salt Lake County Council member. And I got involved in politics because of an incorporation effort, a city incorporation effort. So I was uh, a senior in college. My husband and I had gotten married, and I was living in what was unincorporated Salt Lake County or the Taylorsville Benyon area at the time. And we weren't a city, we were part of just unincorporated county, but we're, a lot of us residents were getting frustrated because the county kept putting bigger apartment complexes in our neighborhoods without feeling like we really had representation. And so we got together and decided we were gonna incorporate and that passed successfully. We became Utah's 10th largest city called Taylorsville. And because of that, I was really motivated to stay involved in my new city. And so I served on the planning commission for eight years. Um, I was involved clear up until even in 2011 when my mayor came to me and asked if I would come work for the city as an economic development marketing and communications director. And in between that time, I had been serving on school community councils and Granite School District community councils. And so I've had lots of experience in the local level. Um, I was decided to run for Salt Lake County Council in 2014, and I've been there for the last six years. And we represent about 40% of the state in Salt Lake County. And so we have the state's second largest budget. And I've enjoyed going through budgets and looking for wasteful spending and figuring out where we can better prioritize tax dollars. Uh, I've also been involved in mental health, intergenerational poverty, criminal justice reform, 
those are some of the county issues that I have been mostly involved in. So I've enjoyed serving. I want to continue to serve. Um, one of the things I worry about is I don't want Utah to become like California, where we have high taxes and regulation and not great planning for growth, traffic, housing price issues where people can't afford to buy a home. Those are some of the things that I worry about as I look to the future. And so I'm excited to be in the race. And uh, I have, I'm the candidate with the most local government experience. I've got a record, but I also bring a fresh perspective to state government. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Um, I have many questions. And also, I, full disclosure, I live in Taylorsville and I lived through that incorporation effort. So, awesome. Um, I wanted our name to be Benyon, though, because I lived in the Benyon community. <laughs> yep, that's where I live right now, too. <laughs> um, but John, why don't you kind of give us the same rundown? Who are you? What's your, I know you have a legislative history, but uh, and why did you accept this uh, invitation to be a, to run as lieutenant governor? Well, it's great to be with you. Um, so part of my background is I'm currently the state auditor, as Jason mentioned. Um, I describe that as being a watchdog, trying to make sure your tax money is being spent legally, efficiently, and effectively. And I think we've been doing a great job over the last seven years uh, since I became state auditor. When folks hear about, uh, unfortunately, a, a government official stealing money, that's usually my team that goes in to investigate that and then works with a local prosecutor to bring those folks to justice and work to recover the money. Um, prior to that, I served in the legislature for 10 years, um, had a reputation for being a watchdog, uh, looking out for the taxpayers there, was known for uh, bringing more transparency to transportation projects and how those get selected, uh, moving them out of the back rooms into a more transparent process, helping the public know how the Transportation Commission selects those projects. Um, when we did tax reform back in 2005 to 2007, I describe it when we did tax reform right and actually passed it unanimously in the legislature and delivered the largest tax cut to Utahns. Um, I was the House sponsor of that legislation and was critical and part of that process and helped the state navigate the uh, last economic downturn, 2008-2009, um, dealing with overseeing, first and foremost, the Health and Human Services budget, and then ultimately the number two guy in the House in charge of the whole state budget during that downturn and that recovery. Also had a uh, long history being a champion of transparency in government, trying to help folks understand what their government's doing and where the money is really going in government, both the state and local. Awesome. So we only got um, about two minutes to go. I, I want to let Amy ask a quick question, but I, I, I want to say again, thank you very much for you guys for doing this because I know this is kind of new to all of us, but uh, I really do feel as though being able to get to know you guys will help all the, uh, the, the voters understand who they have a, a chance to have represent them. Amy, I, I was just curious on the uh, the jump from local government to state government. Was there some, uh, you know, you were sort of motivated by an issue to get into government, into governing? Um, why, why jump to, why do you want to be the governor? Well, I had an experience in 2018 chairing the county council. I was elected as chair. And as I look at some of the issues that are facing our state, we have to have a governor who understands local government. I mean, I'm one who believes that you push control down to the local level as much as possible. But when we look at growth issues that we're going to need to tackle as a state, you've got to have somebody who knows how to work with city and counties and understands how they think and, and their motivation for, for these different things to be able to really put together a long-term plan for growth. You know, I'm a planner by nature. And one of the things that I want to do is bring, to the, bring back to the governor's office the Office of Planning so that we can coordinate all of these things. And I feel like 
we need a leader who's willing to be bold, who's going to be willing to spend political capital when need be and stand up for Utahns. And that's, that's my, that's who I am. That's what I want to do as well as be able to hold government accountable and have that fiscal conservative nature where we can really utilize tax dollars in the best way possible. When we come back, I want to uh, uh, continue our discussion and find out more about the issues that are of importance to Amy Winder Newton and to her running mate, John Dougal. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we're talking in our candidate conversation series, the first in the uh, Utah's gubernatorial primary election that's going to be coming up in June. And we've uh, extended an invitation to all the candidates and their running mates. And today, we're speaking with Republicans Amy Winder Newton and her running mate, Utah State Auditor John Dougal. And uh, in this particular uh, case, we want to find out a little bit more about the issues of importance to you guys and, and to find out more about how you feel about this. And I would like to start off with uh, with one thing. I know we're in the midst of uh, this COVID-19 outbreak, which is kind of the reason why we're having this discussion the way we are uh, in social distancing. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to handle such a situation? And if you were uh, in, in, the, uh, in the governor's office, how would you be able to uh, mitigate the spread of this outbreak? Well, I'll be honest, I am not going to sit and second guess our leaders because I feel like the public right now needs to have full confidence in what they're doing. But what I can tell you is we are going to be seeing the most severe disruption to our economy that we've ever experienced in our lifetime. And I think come January, when the new governor takes office, we've got to have a team who understands how to provide financial and regulatory relief in order to rebuild Utah's economy. John and I are the team that can do that. We both are very well versed in budgets. We understand how government works. We both have a record. And so we're going to be doing whatever we can to fight government waste and reform budgets and get Utahns back to work. I can tell you, Salt Lake County alone, we anticipate a $60 million decrease in revenue this year because of COVID-19. And so we're working right now with our fiscal team to figure out what, how, what are we going to do? And the states is going to be much, much larger. And so We've got some issues that we're going to have to tackle. You've got to have seasoned veterans who understand budgets and who know how to go to bat for those things so that we can get Utahns back to work. We can re rebuild our economy as quickly as possible, which we'll do. Utahns are known for that. We're great at doing that, and we can do it again. And that's, that's why we're in, involved in this race. So jobs and economy, are that's our very top issue right now because of what's going on. And... John, you should jump in here. I mean, Amy, is that why you chose John or was it? Oh, yeah. Some other, yeah. There, there's a lot of reasons I chose John, but I need, I wanted his expertise at, at this very thing because I knew what we were going to be staring down the barrel with. And this is something that is a top priority. John is going to be a fantastic running mate and lieutenant governor because I'm going to have him very much involved in the budgeting process and what we need to do. So, John, what do you see as far as, I mean, I 100% I agree this is probably the, the toughest economic uh, situation we're going to face in my lifetime. Um, what's sort of your read on it? Well, I think one of the key things uh, just to point out is clearly testing is critical to identify who is sick, um, who should uh, be quarantined, 
um, who is at risk and helping us better understand where the disease is so we can better tackle it rather than right now we are lacking some data and trying to have self-isolate because we have a lack of test kits and testing has been slow to ramp up. And so clearly testing is critical as we go forward. When you look at the economy, we're seeing uh, you know, unemployment filings going through the roof right now. They're just astronomical, both in Utah and across the nation. Unfortunately, I think this is going to be um, a bigger uh, financial hit than many folks are anticipating. And that's where we got to make sure that uh, we're getting targeted assistance at those businesses, especially those ones that were specifically either shut down or restricted due to the government action during this emergency. We also need to look to say, how do we reduce the regulatory burden? Um, I worked with some uh, folks recently. Restaurants want to start selling unprepared food meal kits to folks mm -hmm. to augment their business. Well, there are certain limitations for their ability to do that, certain concerns about how do you tax that, other things like that. We need to make sure we're getting rid of that regulation that impairs business from being nimble and flexible of adapting to the uncertain economic situation that we're in and can help them accelerate in that recovery and then uh, ultimately looking at the budget within state government, looking to say, where can we uh, pare back and tighten that budget to make sure there's not pushes to raise taxes on the backs of struggling businesses and individuals who are suffering during this uh, economic downturn and, and recovery. So there's also Amy, some opportunity, too, that we're going to need to accelerate educational opportunities to help Utahns retool skills and be able to reboot their careers. I mean, we... We don't know what this is going to bring as far as people maybe have to having to look at different career options and opportunities. And so there's an opportunity in, in education as well to push for some of those things. And Amy has a great vision for education. I think too often folks have pushed four year degree is the answer for everyone. And clearly that's not the case. And how do we make uh, higher education, especially more nimble, adapting to the needs of each student that's out there? So in that vein, when people are looking at, uh, I, I know people who've actually just decided they're done being employed for themselves. They're done with their business. They want to actually get an, you know, change their educational situation, whether that's a trade or going back to school. I think you're, I think you're right that you're going to see a lot of that. But what can the governor do in that regard? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. I mean, if you look at um, how we're doing higher ed right now there's, there's got to be some innovation there where we can look at how we can do maybe stackable degrees. So maybe somebody gets a six month coding certificate, but then they can build upon that if they want to go further in their education, it at least gets them the skills needed to get started in a career. So there's some opportunities that we have there. The governor appoints the board of regents and that's the group of people who sets policy for the higher ed um, institutions here in our state. And so there's a, a ton of opportunity for our next governor to be able to look look at higher ed, figure out how do we really do post-secondary education right so that people are getting those skill-based degrees, that they're able to be ready for careers, that they're having opportunities even in schools and in, in K through 12 to have those experiences and, and get a better idea of the kinds of jobs that maybe they're good at or they're interested in in the future. I think one of the other key things to highlight is also public education. The governor can use the bully pulpit to help advocate for some changes there. And we watch this transition to remote learning. And I think we see some challenges as teachers are trying to motivate students 
who maybe have not taken full ownership of their education in the past. And we can look at opportunities to help improve that kind of dynamic where students take much more ownership of their education as they're going through from, from first grade to, uh, to 12th. You know, you mentioned that, and I do think there are a lot of interesting educational issues being raised by this. But one of them is that kids are now have the opportunity to get temporary jobs that pay them double what the minimum wage was. And so they're saying, I don't know that I need to finish school. Um, and I just I wonder how you make that degree more valuable. And I also don't necessarily think it's a matter of I think for some people it is an uh, accountability issue. But for other people, it's an access issue. San Juan County, uh, you shared a story on this yesterday, John. They're, they're using paper packets because people don't, the kids don't have internet. And so I, can you do anything about that? Well, when it comes to student learning, I mean, one of the key things, whether you've got internet or not, when students can take more ownership of their learning, um, the world's wide open on that. But, but clearly there's limitations in terms of not just down there with internet. Sometimes there's limitations with water and power. But this is where you look to try and say, how do we help get uh, technology and infrastructure in more parts of the state. One of the things that we've got to do is ensure we've got broadband throughout the state so that in our rural areas, A, they can have access to opportunities, but B, you know, we have opportunities for telecommuting and for economic development, but there's got to be that infrastructure there. And so that's a, that's a huge priority for me. We'll continue our discussion of, of talking about issues facing our state with Republican candidate for governor, Amy Winder Newton, and her running mate, John Dougal. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. We're having a candidate conversation this week with Salt Lake County Councilwoman Amy Winder Newton and her running mate for Utah Governor, Utah State Auditor John Dougal. And uh, we we've been talking a little bit about some of the issues that you guys think are important and that you feel like you want to uh, put your efforts in toward uh, addressing uh, in our state. But uh, Amy uh, Donaldson had a couple of questions for you regarding some of the things that we read about in some of your policy uh, ideas. Yeah, I just wondered what criminal justice reform looks like to you, Amy. Well, that's a that's a big issue for counties here in Utah. Um, our budget in Salt Lake County, 80% of our general fund is criminal justice related. So we have the jail, we have prosecution, we have indigent defense, uh, behavioral health, all of these things tie in to the criminal justice system. So it's really important for us to look for new ways that we can do things because it's expensive to build more and more jail beds. And so one of the things that we've done um, in Salt Lake County and that I've been part of is looking for ways that we can try to reduce the revolving door of the jail. We have the same people that, that cycle in and out of our jail, and we've got to figure out how do we keep them from coming back? How do we help them? And so um, we've developed some programs with mental health that are mental health related, but also substance abuse, so that if we've got people who are dealing with substance abuse, they can go through a program um, our intensive supervision probation program is a great example of that. They can go through, get the help that they need, get back on track, get resources so that they um, can go get a job, have a different network of friends and support a support group and be able to be monitored that way so that they can we can try to help them back into society and not just continue to lock people up. 
And one of the things, you know, as a fiscal conservative, yeah, I, I helped propose cuts and this last year proposed 12 million in cuts. But one of the things that I really feel strongly about too that we need to do with tax dollars is look for ways that we can save taxpayers down the road. And so you might have to spend a little bit now on a program like the intensive supervision probation program, but you know down the road, if that works, then you can save money on having to build, build more jail beds, which becomes far more expensive. And so being able to utilize those tax dollars and, and invest in the right things is really, really important. One of the other things Amy didn't mention is also um, her vision when it comes to education. When education better meets the needs of students, we go even further upstream and we try and help those students be successful in their learning activities so they don't go to a life of crime. Yeah, and, and that goes along. Can I mean, I there's intergenerational poverty issues, too, that we work on and that I've been involved in. Um, on the county level I, that go hand in hand with all of these things. I mean, we want, we want kids to grow up and have a better life than their parents had. And so I, I started the first ever Salt Lake County Intergenerational Poverty Task Force, and I currently chair that. And we are looking for how do we help break that cycle of poverty? How do we help people get on their feet? Because not only does it save taxpayer dollars when they're not utilizing the system, you know, through the welfare program, but it also, more importantly, they feel that dignity and self-respect that comes from providing for yourself and your family. And that's so important. And so, you know, being able to have educational opportunities for this population is really, really important. And it's something that we've been focusing a lot on. So have you learned like this? I think this COVID-19 outbreak has taught us a lot, has revealed a lot about our systems of government, our healthcare system, and also our economic situation and knowing that so many people are one paycheck away from disaster and so many businesses are like a month away from not being able to make payroll, does that give you any insight into how to go forward or how to help the economy recover after this is over? Absolutely. And, and I think, sadly, sometimes we need wake up calls to realize that. I mean, we've been we've had such a successful economy. We've had such low unemployment rates that you can go get a job and and it's been very, very easy to do that. Um, I think this is the wake up call for all of us that, you know, we can't rely on the economy to always be at 100% and we've got to be prepared. And new towns are good at that naturally anyway. I mean, I, I think that it, it helps us realize that not only do we need to have plenty of toilet paper and those kinds of necessities, <laughs> but um, financially, we need to be prepared. As a state, we've done a good job with that. We have a $900 million rainy day fund. Um, we, we've done a great job being fiscally conservative and being prepared for the future. And that's something that's so important. And if, our, if all of us can continue to have that kind of, um, have those spending habits where we're saving and we recognize that we're going to have to be ready because you just never know. I think a lot of people have never had to deal with something like this before. And so well, as you do me, with any trial, you learn new things and you learn what you can do differently. Yeah, I, I do think, though, there are a lot of people because uh, the cost of education, the cost of transportation, the cost of housing, those things have all gone up. They have far outpaced wages. I think there are a lot of people who when you talk to them or you sit down and do a budget with them, I don't know where they would get the money to save. Um, and right. so I don't think it's just a matter of teaching people better um, financial responsibility habits. I do think that's part of it. But I think a large part of it is that our wages have not kept pace with what it costs to live and work and buy and, and have housing. And what do you do about that? 
You know, that's a tough one. I am a free market conservative. And so, you know, I, I think it's interesting to see. I'll, I'll give you an example. So we've yeah. had a teacher shortage in our state mm -hmm. for the last several years. And we have some school districts who start out the school year with permanent substitutes in the classroom. Well, that our kids deserve better than that. And, and that's something that I've kind of ranted about, that we've got to pay our teachers better. What's interesting, though, is is the market helps with that a little bit. I mean, you started to see school districts figure out ways that they can pay teachers more because they know that they need more teachers. And, you know, we've got to invest in that as, as a state as well. But it will be interesting when we look at post COVID-19 to see on some of these jobs what happens, because do people now look at this and go, wow, uh, being a school teacher has some stability to it that I never really realized. And that's a job that I want to go into. And so, mm -hmm. you know, does that help with this teacher shortage? I don't know. I mean, I think time will tell. But you know, you bring up a good point. I, it, it's tough. And one of the things that we've seen, one of the results of our success have been the, these challenges where it has become more expensive to live here. Our housing prices have gone up. Um, mm -hmm. We've got to look at ways, like I had mentioned before, that we can plan, that we can invest in the infrastructure so that people can get from point A to point B and we can do it in a cost-effective manner. So, you know, you bring up a good point. It'll be interesting though, with this economy turning the way that it is to see how some yeah. of that some of that um, is impacted. Well, and Amy Donaldson, when you bring up your question, you start looking at housing, you look at education, you look at healthcare, mm -hmm. those type of issues. The government is heavily involved. And oftentimes the government, unfortunately, drives up the cost of those activities. And when you look at wages being flat, part of the reason wages are flat is because the cost of benefits, especially healthcare, has been going up. And in some cases, yeah. for some employees, the cost of pension is going up. And those are oftentimes also driven by the government. And so this is where in a free market, you start to get the government out of the way. And then you start to let people say, yeah, I'm willing to pay for that. Do I think a family plan for insurance for healthcare should be 20,000 bucks a year? Probably not if people really could start seeing what the true cost of those activities were. There's a lot of uh, important issues to, to get to, but we also have a few rapid fire questions we need to get to as well. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with my co-host, Amy Donaldson. This week, we, we've launched our the first in our in our candidate conversation series. Uh, this is about Utah's gubernatorial primary election coming up on June 23rd. And we've extended uh, invitations to all the candidates. And this week, we're being joined by Republicans John Dougal, um, Amy Winder Newton, who is running for governor, and her running mate, John Dougal, who is a Utah State auditor. Amy Winder Newton has been a veteran of the Salt Lake City Council for, what, seven years now? Yeah, actually, it's county government for the last six years. It's not a county government, forgive me. And um, we're, we're kind of in the home stretch here, so I wanted to kind of get a, a feel for you about uh, just, for instance, uh, Amy always asks this question, like, who um, who been your political hero or role model prior to you, um, you know, kind of getting into uh, politics, Amy? Um, well, I am a big fan of Ronald Reagan because he's the great communicator, and I just feel like... It, you know, as I've been in elected office, one of the things I've really tried to do is be available for my constituents to be able to talk to, to, to respond personally to emails, my social media posts, and those kinds of things. And I just feel like communicating with the public is such a huge, important thing. 
we also need to be able to work together. And I've learned that, you know, on the Salt Lake County Council, we have five Republicans, four Democrats, and a Democratic mayor. And so being able to be respectful and work together to get things done um, is, is very, very important as we look at how we can be most effective in government. Same question to you, John. Uh, I would say Barry Goldwater for his vision of a limited government and Ronald Reagan for setting a big vi vision for a better future for America. Hey, I'm curious. Uh, Amy's been out on the campaign trail as far as the governor's race uh, longer. Um, but, John, you, I know you visit a lot of the uh, smaller communities and, and, and visit with delegates. Um, what have you guys learned from the campaign trail? What are you hearing from people? And has it changed any of your views or given you any insight into the issues that you care about? That's a really great question. So I've been out on the campaign trail for about a year now. Um, I started visiting all 29 counties throughout the state, um, started last April. And it is, it's, to me, the most eye-opening thing has been to learn more about rural Utah. You know, you kind of lump rural Utah in together and really every community is so different and has such different needs. And that's been really eye-opening for me. Um, it's also been interesting to hear how the issues have changed. So back last April when I started visiting, um, and, and keep in mind, I'm visiting with Republicans because it's a Republican primary, uh, but the big issue was immigration. People talked all the time about immigration. Well, then uh, come fall, it became the Second Amendment. I kept hearing lots of things about the Second Amendment. I'm sure what's going on in Virginia and, and such um, was part of that. Well, now people are worried about jobs. They're worried about the economy, and, and rightly so. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic that's deeply affecting our, our economy. And so it's interesting to see how whatever's happening around the country and around the world is kind of changing what the primary issues are for people. But economic development in our rural areas is really important for people. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about the growth issues along the Wasatch Front and concerns there. Um, but taxes, keeping our taxes low and keeping government limited, um, those are big issues as well. John, did what, you have some? One of the key things, clearly I've been traveling the state for about eight years as state auditor, campaigning and so forth. Um, Amy's uh, absolutely correct uh, about the uniqueness of each community. The overarching thing I keep hearing time and time again from Utahns is, you know, we want the government to help us. And largely, we also want it to get out of the way so that we can live our life and uh, raise our families the way we want to uh, start the businesses that we want to start, do what we want to do without the government always seeming like it's interfering with us. And part of that state government, part of that's federal government. But that's kind of an overarching theme. I remind folks that that Utah is a great place to live, not because we have the best managed government, but because of each and every Utah, uh, their pioneer spirit, their belief in the American dream, that's what makes Utah great. So we're, we usually do these rapid fire questions, but we can't see each other. So I'm going to shoot three of them at you. And Amy, you go first and then John, you go second. Do you have a favorite movie or book? Do you have a favorite hobby? And is there something in your life, some adversity that you've endured that shaped you or changed you? Well, I'll tell you, my favorite movie is Dave. I don't know if you remember Dave, Kevin <laughs> Klein, and it's yeah. and I always just love that. I also like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington because there was there's always been something in me that believes that th that people are better than what we sometimes get in government, and that they can come in and make changes and go to bat and make the right changes without having special interests and lobbyists and you know all these other influences. And so I just believe in the the good, good hearted people who want to serve. And so I, that's always been my favorite movie. 
Um, mm -hmm. As far as an adversity that's influenced my life. Um, so my daughter, when she was two years old, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And that has been a life-changing experience for me because, um, you know, she had to have two brain surgeries. They told us she only had a 40% chance of surviving. And if she survived, she'd be blind, deaf, or paralyzed. And that was, that was life-changing for us. For seven years, she did have two brain surgeries. Um, they only got part of the tumor. Um, so, and it was on her brain stem. So we had years and years of MRIs and wondering is she is, you know, what's going to happen with this tumor. And it miraculously started to shrink on its own, but she was left paralyzed. She had to relearn things again. And, and every day I would wake up for seven years and wonder what do I need to do for this girl? Because she had other disabilities that came along with that. So learning to fight for people is something that, that I learned. I learned about our healthcare system and, and why it's so important to have health insurance. And, and so those are some of the situations in my life that have been impactful. Jen? Amy, what's your favorite hobby? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Sleep, having a nap. <laughs> Is that a hobby? Yeah. No, I, I love to, <laughs> yeah, I love to read and I, I also like to play the piano. So, so for me, uh, favorite movie is also Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, there's just something about that of rejuvenating your spirit in the, uh, uh, power of America. And that uh, bigger principle that uh, Mr. Smith, that uh, Jimmy Stewart celebrates in that movie. Uh, favorite hobby is reading, uh, especially anything from David McCullough. And then adversity. Uh, I, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, I'm the oldest of living kids. Um, frugal is all I ever knew growing up. And so it's the importance of hard work, of savings, and be becoming something um, and doing something with meaningful with your life. Okay, Jace, you want to ask him the last and most important question? Uh, yeah, why should people vote uh, why for do you want, why, why should we trust yeah. people to vote for you? Well, I'll tell you, I am not running for this office because I want to be someone. I'm running because I want to do something. And I'm not in this because of ego or money or trying to influence my, my buddies or anything like that. It's about really providing service for the people of Utah. And the people who know me know first know that I that I I'm going to be a straight shooter. I am not going to be afraid to make hard decisions, and I am going to just try to do what's right for the people of Utah. I you know like I said earlier, I don't want Utah to become California, and we've got so many good things going. We've got a great quality of life that we need to hold on to, and so that's why I'm running, and I believe I'm the best candidate because I have that local government experience, and I also have a record but I bring a fresh perspective to state government, which I think is needed. From top to bottom, this is a ticket of proven conservatives who want to keep government off your backs and out of your pockets. Uh, Amy Winder Newton and John Dougal, thank you very much for joining us. And we really appreciate you offering your perspectives and very good luck to you on the campaign trail. Thank you. Thanks. Join us. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vormjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. You can check out our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you might find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.